0: Well, good morning, church. I am thankful uh, to be given the opportunity to share God's word with you all today. And uh, as Pastor Matthew mentioned, a little over a year ago, God really burdened my heart um, to, to put together a message on family worship. And uh, as we all know, the Lord's timing is is perfect because I feel like this message is so much more relevant today than it was back in 2019. And while 2020 has brought many, many challenges to all of our lives, there there have been blessings in the midst of this. And for those of us that have children in our homes, one of those blessings is that we get some extra time to spend with our kids and we have some extra time to build into them spiritually And uh, the the children's ministry at our church is, is limited right now. And so now, more than ever, the onus falls directly on us as parents to teach and train our children to know, love, and obey the Lord. As many of you know, my wife and I, uh, Lindsay, have a young family. We have two boys, uh, Sammy, who is actually two and a half today. Um, I'm going to get him some donuts on the way home, so he'll be happy with that. Um, And Theo, who is five months old. And most of you have not met Theo because he was born right before everything shut down. And so I've gotten a lot of people asking me for pictures of him, so I thought I'd share one this morning. So um, Theo should be up there on the screen. There he is. Um, And then there's also a picture just of our little family as well. Well, raising a family is a wonderful privilege, but it can also be pretty tough sometimes. Kids don't come with an instruction manual, and you can also try to do a good thing as a parent, but it can end up backfiring on you. A few months ago, Sammy and I were reading through the story of David and Goliath, and so I wanted to have a little fun with it, so I'm like, let's let's act it out. So so Sammy was David, and I, of course, was Goliath, and he just had a blast pretending to throw this stone at my head, and then I'd fall on the ground, and he just loved it. And so we did that several times, and then I put him to bed with Lindsay. And uh, what I didn't anticipate was the next day, Sammy wanted to play David and Goliath again, but this time I was at work. And so he decided, I'm going to play with Theo. And instead of pretending to throw a stone, he picked up a Duplo block and chucked it at Theo's head and yelled, Goliath! <laughs> yeah, that one definitely backfired on us. Um, well, Lindsay and I are certainly not perfect parents. Let me be clear on that. And we are pretty new to the parenting game, so we've been at it for two and a half years. Um, but one thing we very intentionally decided before Sammy was even born in 2018 was that we wanted to raise our kids to love the Lord. And a big part of that was we wanted to make sure that each day we were spending time with our family in the Word together, reading our Bibles, praying together, and singing together. Psalm 145 verses 2 through 4 says, Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and highly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts." And we read this passage and just really wanted to live that out as a family, that we would praise the Lord together each day, and that Lindsay and I as parents could declare the mighty acts of the Lord to our children, who are the next generation Well, when Lindsay and I, or when Lindsay was pregnant with uh, Sammy in the summer of 2017, we had the opportunity to visit a a fairly well-known church in the Chicago area. And I got a a chance to speak with their worship pastor, who's a bit of a ministry hero of mine. And, uh, you know, as we were talking, the subject came up that we were expecting our first child. And I'll never forget when that worship pastor looked directly at me and he said, Scott, yes, you are a pastor in your church. But more than that, you are the pastor of your home. Your family is a little church, and your most important spiritual responsibility is to them. That's really stuck with me as we've been raising our kids. The great preacher, Jonathan Edwards, is quoted as saying, every Christian family ought to be, as it were, a little church, consecrated to Christ, and wholly influenced and governed by his rules. Dads, you are the pastor of your home. You have a spiritual responsibility for your family for which one day you will give an account. It was a a Puritan practice back in the 17th century uh, that a man would actually be refused communion on Sunday if he wasn't active in leading his family in prayer and singing and Bible study during the week. And I'm not suggesting we revive that practice, but it does demonstrate to us the seriousness of this responsibility. And moms, you are to partner with your husbands in this. Now, I understand that some here today or or some that are watching online may be single moms or moms who have a husband that's an unbeliever. And if that's your family dynamic, then you have the great privilege of leading your family spiritually as well. And the most important job we have as parents is to train and disciple our children, not to help them excel in uh, school or sports or music, but to help them excel in their faith. And sometimes in the church, we can get so caught up in our own spiritual lives that, that we kind of miss uh, our family's spiritual health, and we can neglect it and so, fathers, you know, you, you get so involved in the men's Bible study, and mothers, you get so involved in the, the ladies' Bible study, and, you know, teenagers, you get involved in the youth group, and kids, you get involved in Kids Link. And we can be on all these different, really thankful for Chris and Marty and the ministry that they have to our uh, children and teenagers. I, I can't expect them to disciple my two boys for me. When the church can aid in that process, but it's ultimately not the church's responsibility. Kurt Bruner, in his book, It Starts at Home, says, the home cannot be the church any more than the church can be the home. God never intended a family's faith to occur apart from local church engagement, but neither did he design the church to replace the home. You may be sitting here today thinking, well, I guess it's time for me to take a nap. I don't have kids in my house, and this doesn't apply to me. Well, I'd encourage you this morning, if you are single or you're married without children, Think about how you might intentionally disciple your kids should you have them in the future. Put together a plan now that you could implement down the road. If your kids are grown and out of the house, and maybe they have kids of their own, you have a tremendous opportunity as a grandparent to pour spiritually into your children. If none of the above applies to you, then, then think about today how you can support and encourage the parents and families In our church. And, you know, as believers, every single one of us has a responsibility to pour into the next generation. So maybe if that doesn't apply to you, maybe you look at how can I serve in our our children's or student ministry and pour into the next generation? Well, our text for today is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. So if you have a Bible with you today, I'd encourage you to turn there, and the words will also be on the screen. Well, before we read it, I just want to give a little bit of context for our passage today. The book of Deuteronomy is Moses' address to the people of Israel before he transfers leadership to Joshua, and the people of Israel are led into the Promised Land. So this is sort of Moses' farewell address to the people of Israel. And throughout the book, Moses is communicating to them the things that they will need to know if they hope to honor the Lord and serve him in the future. And in the preceding chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 5, Moses restates the 10 commandments that God gave them on Mount Sinai. And after Moses reminded the people of Israel of these commandments, in our passage today, Deuteronomy chapter 6, he gives somewhat of a summary statement of the commands. And we'll pick things up in verse 1 of Deuteronomy chapter 6. So let's stand together out of the reading, respect for the reading of God's word. So Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 through 7, says this, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. Let's pray together. Father God, I just pray today that you would open our eyes to the truth of your word, God, that this scripture that was written thousands of years ago, God, I just pray that we would be able to apply it to our lives today. Lord, just do a work in our midst. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, the title of the message today is Raising a Family of Worshippers. And as much as I love the Von Trapp family, the message today is not about raising a family of singers. It's about raising a family of worshipers. And there's a big difference. We see throughout the Bible that worship is so much more than just singing. Romans 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Worship is not just about singing songs to God. It's about living a life that honors and glorifies Him. We don't just want to train our kids to sing. We want to train them to honor God in everything they do. In the message today, I want to propose two responsibilities that we as parents should take seriously if we want to raise our family of worshipers. And the first responsibility is our responsibility to the Lord. It's our responsibility to the Lord. And before you can ever hope to raise kids who honor God, you must be modeling what that looks like for your kids. In the book Unchristian, David authors David Kinsman and Gabe Lyons report that the increasingly negative perception of Christian faith in our culture has been fueled by the fact that most self-identified unbelievers in America are former church kids. Let that sink in. Most self-identified unbelievers in America today are former church kids. And the sad reality that statistics tell us is that about 54% of kids raised in the church back away from their faith in their adult years. And I know that there's probably plenty of reasons for that, but I think a big one is these kids saw their parents attending church on Sundays and then didn't do anything with it. They didn't live the rest of their week for the Lord. And these kids most likely heard the gospel if they were coming to church on Sundays, but I don't think they saw their parents live it out in their lives. And if the gospel didn't make any difference in the lives of their parents, then why should they continue to be a part of something that doesn't matter to their lives? We must show our kids the amazing treasure of the gospel and the worth of knowing Christ Jesus as our Lord. In Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 through 5, Moses tells us what we can do to honor the Lord in our lives. And the first is to listen and obey. To listen and obey. Multiple times throughout verses 1 through 3, Moses tells the people to hear, listen, do, and keep the commands of the Lord. And he also tells us why. He says, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God, that your days may be prolonged, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly. Moses is showing us here that there are tremendous benefits to listening to and obeying the Lord. And if I could sort of summarize verses 1 through 3 in a sentence, it might say, listen to and obey the Lord's commands. So, that you will honor the Lord and that you, your children, and your grandchildren will live long and full lives. So, we are to listen to and obey the Lord. Well, that begs the question how do we hear God? If I'm supposed to obey what God says, how, how do I listen to Him? Well, the primary way we hear from God is through his word. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And if you want to be equipped as a parent, you need to be in God's word. And parenting is a morning through evening responsibility, but parents, are you setting aside time each day to be in the Word. And I know it's difficult, especially with a young family and little kids, but it is vital not only to your spiritual life, but to the spiritual life of your family as well. And, you know, if possible, read your Bible in a place that your kids can see you. You know, that, that might seem strange, but if your kids see that you're reading your Bible, it, it communicates that it's, it's important to you. And, you know, likely it'll become important to them as well. And there's been times when I've been reading my Bible and and Samuel will come up next to me and he'll grab his little Bible storybook or whatever and he can't read, but he just sits down beside me and just kind of leafs through the pages. And here's a picture of Sammy, me, and Pooh Bear doing our devotions together. You may have often heard it said, those who fail to plan, plan to fail. And the same is true in our devotional lives. We must have a plan. And almost every person that I've talked to who's is, who is struggling to maintain that daily time with the Lord, they don't have any kind of set plan. It's almost like they just kind of open their Bible to a random page and, and just read. But having a plan is such a vital thing if we are hope, hoping to be consistent in our time with the Lord. And there, there's tons of great resources out there. One of my favorite devotionals is experiencing God day by day by Henry Blackaby. And if you're looking for a devotional book, I'd highly recommend it. But also keep in mind in the midst of that that no devotional can replace the Word of God. Devotionals are a great supplementary thing, but ensure that you're actually reading the Word each day. And I know that many of you participated in our 90-day New Testament challenge that Pastor Matthew started back in April. And I participated as well. And I absolutely loved it. It was so great to read that much scripture in that short amount of time. And it's just to see the connections between different parts of scripture and just get a, a great overview of the New Testament. And you know, I've, I've now started reading through the Old Testament after finishing up the New. And maybe it's time for a new challenge, Pastor Matthew. But <laughs> whatever you do, Just make sure you have a plan and stick to it. Accountability is a great way to ensure that you're being consistent in your time with the Lord. And maybe ask a friend or your spouse to keep you accountable. And something that I use as well, I use an app that's called Way of Life. And there's kind of a picture there, sort of how how it uh, how it works. And you know, it's something that just is helpful to me. That every day I fill it out, and it's just a way that I can keep accountable to various different habits that I want to keep disciplined in my life. So that's a great tool as well. Well, once we've heard the word of God, we have to obey it. To hear God without putting his word into effect is not really hearing him at all. So when the scripture says in Matthew 5, to let your yes be yes and your no be no, tell the truth always. When it says in Colossians 4, to devote yourselves to prayer, pray daily. When it says in Matthew 18, to forgive others, then forgive the person who has wronged you. Put God's word into practice, obey the Lord. And and when when your kids see you living out your faith, it makes them so much more likely to do the same. Proverbs 20, verse seven says, a righteous man who walks in his integrity, how blessed are his sons after him. So we're to listen to and obey the Lord, but we also see in Deuteronomy six that we are to love the Lord. Beginning in verse four, we come to a passage that the Jews call the Shema. And the word Shema in Hebrew means here. So Moses is essentially saying to the people of Israel, hey guys, listen up, this is important. And to this very day, an observant Jew will recite the Shema twice daily. Why? Because this passage is understood to be the heart of the Mosaic law. And Jesus himself tells us in Matthew 22 that, that this passage contains God's greatest commandment. What is it? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. Well, what does that mean? It means to love God with everything you've got. Author Vadi Vadibacham offers this great definition of biblical love. He says, love is an act of the will accompanied by emotion that leads to action on behalf of its object. So loving God is its a conscious act. If I say I love God, then it should be evident in the way that I live my life and the way I expand my energy and effort. And the same is true in marriage. So, you know, if in my marriage I, I say that I love Lindsay, but I never talk to her and I never do anything with her, I never do anything for her, I never spend any time with her, does, does that sound like love? No. In the same way we demonstrate our love for God by the way we honor him with our lives. And listening to and obeying and loving the Lord, they're, they're all intertwined. You see, the more we listen to and obey the Lord, the more we come to love him. And the more we love the Lord, the more we will want to listen to and obey him. And if you struggle with whether you truly love God, then start getting into his word and obeying it. And I promise you, your love for him will grow. Well, so far we've seen our responsibility to the Lord, to listen to, obey, and love him. And second, we'll see our responsibility to our family, our responsibility to our family. You've probably heard it said that we must practice what we preach, and that's absolutely true. Like we've seen, if your kids don't see you modeling uh, your faith for them, they're, they're likely not going to listen to what you have to say about it. So we, we've got to practice what we preach, but the reverse is also true We've got to preach what we practice. Charles Spurgeon once said, Brethren, I wish it were more common, I wish it were universal with all to have family prayer. In many, very many cases, I fear there is such a neglect of family worship that it's not probable that the children are at all impressed by any piety supposed to be possessed by their parents. Basically, what Spurgeon is saying here is, don't just expect your faith to rub off on your kids. You need to be intentional To teach them the things of the Lord. In verses six and seven, Moses shows us our responsibility to our family. It says, These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise up. Moses is saying here is that our responsibility is to teach and talk to our children about the Lord. That's our responsibility to our families, to teach and talk to our children about the Lord. And this doesn't just happen by accident. Moses says we must teach diligently. In other words, we've got to be intentional. Kurt Brunner says, few of us move beyond accidental parenting to intentional parenting. We stumble along reacting to what happens rather than focusing our efforts toward a predefined goal. So as parents, we've got to be really intentional about teaching and talking to our children about the Lord. And, and to be honest with you, that's hard. Intentionality in parenting is really, really hard. It is much easier to react to situations than be proactive, but we must do it. Well, in verse 7, we see three different aspects to this. And the first is that we must teach and talk about the Lord in our homes. We must teach and talk about the Lord in our homes. And let's just get some context here. So, like I said, this is Moses' farewell address to the people of Israel. And he says very clearly in verse 4, Okay, listen up, guys. What I'm about to say is really important. And then he gives us God's greatest commandment. How does he follow that up? He says, teach it to your children. Moses saw the home as the primary way to deliver God's truth from generation to generation. He didn't say, go and preach this in your church or go and tell your neighbor about this, even though both of those things are vital and should be done. He says, go and tell it to your kids. It's a vital responsibility that we have. And the Hebrew word for teach can also be translated as repeat. So we don't have to be some kind of Bible scholar to disciple our kids. We simply have to repeat God's truth to them. As I'm sure you parents know, you often don't just tell a child once to act in a certain way, and then they just all of a sudden get it and act in that way. You have to repeat it constantly if you want it to be a permanent behavior in their lives. And right now, we're working on potty training with Sammy. And uh, you have to constantly remind him, Sammy, you need to go to the potty. Sammy, needs to go to the potty all day long, or we're going to have an accident on our hands. We have to continually remind him, or he's going to use his pants instead of the potty. And... I know some of you out there have angel children that just learn potty training in one weekend, but for us, it's a daily battle. In the same way, spiritual training, it's a little by little daily process, not a one-time event. We must teach and talk to our kids about the Lord every day. Well, Donald Whitney in his book, Family Worship, says, without some regularity, structure, and purpose... Bringing our children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord is one of those things that we can assume we are doing, but never actually do as well as we might think. Having a consistent, structured time to invest spiritually in your family is an incredible way to disciple your kids, and this time is often called family worship. Family worship, it gives you an open door to not only teach your kids the things of the Lord, but but for them to ask questions and for you to have discussions about spiritual things. And this time will draw your family closer to each other and also closer to the Lord. Now, I'd wholeheartedly recommend you go on Amazon this afternoon and pick up that book, Family Worship. It's a 56-page easy read that walks you through the nuts and bolts of family worship. And I don't have time today to get into all of the different aspects of it, but I do want to highlight a few things about what family worship can look like in your home. And the first thing that you'll want to do is to pick a regular time and stick with it. It, it might be around the breakfast table. It, it might be right after dinner. It might be, uh, like Lindsay and I do, right before we put our kids to bed. And family worship can be as little as five minutes if you have really young kids, to a half an hour or more if you have teenagers. And it's often composed of three components, scripture, prayer, and singing. It's important to meet your children where they are. So if you have a two-year-old, don't try and read through the entire book of Psalms in one night. That's just not going to work. Choose short Bible passages or kids' storybooks and engage your kids in that way. And if you have older kids, like I said, you can engage them in more of a conversation surrounding the scripture and how it applies to their lives. Prayer as a family, it doesn't have to be this super formal time. Just pray with your children about things that are happening in their lives. Pray for their friends or your neighbors who need the gospel. Pray for people that, that you know as a family are hurting. Right now, what we do with Sammy is we simply say, okay, Sammy, tell God what you're thankful for. And so he might say, you know, dear God, thank you for mommy or thank you for daddy or thank you for ice cream or trains. Last night, he said, thank you for Lamborghinis. Uh, It's sweet to hear what's on his heart, but it can also be a little silly sometimes. But don't be discouraged if your first time praying together isn't this incredibly rich and meaningful time. A culture of prayer in your family, it develops over time. But if you stick with it, prayer can be an amazing thing to bring your family together. A visitor to Charles Spurgeon's home once wrote, his public prayers were an inspiration and benediction, but his prayers with the family were to me more wonderful still. Mr. Spurgeon, when bowed before God in family prayer, appeared a grander man, even than when holding thousands spellbound by his oratory. And many families stop right there with scripture and prayer, but I would encourage you to take the next step to sing with your family as well. Commentator Matthew Henry says, they that pray in the family do well. They that pray and read the scriptures do better, but they that pray and read and sing do best of all, singing is one of the best ways that you can teach and engage your kids. And our two-year-old Sammy can't recite any Bible passages for you, but he can sing the choruses of several worship songs. And You know, in fact, if we look at the Bible, there's many verses that talk about children singing and praising the Lord. Matthew 21, verses 15 and 16 says, But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done, that's referring to Jesus, and the children who were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these children are saying? Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise for yourself. We also read in Psalm 8, verse 2, that through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. God wants children to sing and praise him. And there are a variety of ways you can do this as a family. Maybe you play an instrument, and so you can lead your family in a worship song or two each night. Uh, if not, you could just sing a few songs together with, with no musical accompaniment, just your voices. Or, or maybe you can just go to YouTube or Spotify and pull up some worship songs and just sing them together as a family. And as a worship team, uh, we post on Facebook every Thursday, we do two different playlists. So one is on Spotify, the other is on YouTube. And so if you want, just look those playlists up and you can listen to the songs we're going to do on Sunday and, and then sing along with those in your family worship time. The key to an effective time of singing together is that parents have to model it. Kids love to sing, but parents have to lead the way. When parents, particularly fathers, don't sing, it often leads to kids inheriting kind of a similar laissez faire, you know, indifferent response that sadly can go beyond singing into other aspects of their spiritual life. We have the most likely, your kids are with you, and so we're worshiping together as a family. And so as we sing together on Sundays, make sure you are modeling for your kids what it looks like to worship the Lord, whether you're here in this room or whether you're online in your living room. And I I think that you'll also find that if you sing together with your family throughout the week, your experience on Sundays will be much richer as well. Well, in all three of these activities, scripture and prayer and singing involve your kids as they are able. You could invite them to choose some songs. You could invite them to read scripture or invite them to pray And for very young kids, they they might not be able to grasp what is going on, the concept and the contents as you read, pray, and sing. But at the very least, the child's beginning to learn that family worship is a priority and is important in our lives. And so for us, you know, Theo doesn't get it. He's five months old. But he does know that each night we come together and we do these things together and it's important. You know, and I, and I know that sometimes it can be discouraging. The kids are hyper, not paying attention. They're upset. They're moody. And family worship just feels like a flop. Trust me, I've been there. We know what that's like. But I'd encourage you to stick with it, because I can tell you from experience that it pays off. For Lindsay and I, we decided, like I said, to, that from day one, from the time we brought Sammy home from the hospital, that we would engage in family worship with our kids. So ever since we brought him home, we, you know, we've read scripture, prayed, and sang together. And one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about this subject is, I don't know how, but it works. I, I've seen it producing fruit in the lives of our kids. Sammy's caught me a few times at breakfast, just diving into my cereal, and I look over at him, and he's just got his hands folded, ready to pray. Talk about convicting. You know, he's learned some basic concepts about God, that daddy isn't perfect, that mommy isn't perfect, that grandpa isn't perfect, but that Jesus is perfect. He also understands that God is our creator. Anything that Sammy likes, he said, God made it. So he might say, God made watermelons or God made excavators. And he also loves to sing worship songs to the Lord. And I've actually got a little video here of of Sammy singing one of his favorite songs to Theo. So let's watch this together. Yes, I am in my father's house. It's for me. I'm a, I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. So, anyone recognize that song? That's Who You Say I Am by Hillsong, or as Sammy likes to call it, "Sing, Child of God." So that's that's his favorite song right now. But don't just take it from me and and our family. Scripture tells us of a child who grew up to be an awesome man of God and one of the leaders of the New Testament church. Timothy was the Apostle Paul's spiritual son, but before Timothy ever met Paul, his mother and grandmother brought him up to love the Lord. And Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy uh, 1 verse 5, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that is in you as well. So Timothy's grandmother Lois passed on her faith to Timothy's mother Eunice, and then on to Timothy. Well, how did they pass on their faith? Well, scripture tells us in 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 and 15. It says, you, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So since childhood, Timothy learned the scriptures from his mother and his grandmother. And I think we can all agree it paid off. Timothy became the pastor of the church at Ephesus and also traveled with Paul on many of his missionary journeys. And I hope you're starting to see how family worship can really pay off in the lives of your children. Well, we've talked about how we should teach and talk to our children about the Lord in our homes, but this should also extend outside of our homes as well, into the community. Deuteronomy 6 verse 7 says, "'You shall teach them diligently.'" To your sons, and she'll talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and rise up. And the phrase when you walk by the way, it indicates that someone is on the road or or on a journey. And I think this can apply to situations in our everyday life, when you're outside of your home, maybe it's, you know, grocery shopping or, or going to the park or visiting friends. Discipleship doesn't stop when you walk out your front door. You should be living it out and teaching your children wherever you go. When I was a young child, uh, my mom and I were at the grocery store and we were going through the aisles and I was sitting in the cart and, you know, while we were just going, doing our business and just doing our regular grocery shopping, I dropped this question on her. I said, mom, how do I get to heaven? And as a parent, I'd be like, whoa, what? I just grabbed the bread and put it in the cart and now you're asking me this question? What's going on? But my mom stopped. What she was doing and on the spot explained to me how Jesus came to die for our sins and took the penalty for them on the cross. And when we believe in him and follow him as Lord, we can be saved and spend eternity with him. She then asked me if I wanted to make that decision to commit my life to the Lord. And so right there between the angel food cake and the heavenly hash ice cream, I prayed to accept Christ. And the the point of me telling you that story is just that we have to be ready whenever and wherever to field those questions from our kids and point them to the Lord. We can also have a profound influence on our kids when we minister to others around us. You know, our kids, when they see us sharing the love of Christ, they can participate in that with us. You know, one opportunity that our family took advantage of in the spring was to, to have Sammy help us make uh, signs to post outside of our local hospital at RMH, and so we have a, a picture there as well. And so he helped us color the signs, and, and you know, while, while we were doing it, we were able to say to him, like, Sammy, we're doing this because we want to show other people that God loves them and that we love them as well. And that's just one small example, but there are tons of great ways to do outreach with your kids. You know, you can make people meals, you can mow your neighbor's lawn, you could go shopping for someone who's in quarantine, you could even leave a gift for your mailman. There's lots of different things that you can do, and and sometimes kids can even break down barriers for ministry as well. A cute kid delivering a box of cookies to your neighbor is going to go over a lot better than a 30-year-old man. And if your kids see you modeling ministry and evangelism, they will be way more likely to practice it in their own lives. Well, finally, we should teach and talk about the Lord to our kids at all times, at all times. Participating in special times of family worship and outreach are wonderful, but we must be continually looking for those opportunities to invest in our children Verse 7 of Deuteronomy 6 says that we should do these things when you lie down and when you rise up. And this tells us that our responsibility extends from morning until evening. So when we discipline our children, we need to communicate to them the why, why they did what was wrong, and and tell them how God feels about what they did. You know, when we see a beautiful rainbow, we should remind them of the promise that, that God would never again flood the earth. When they face disappointment, we should reassure them that that God always will love them and that he will never leave or forsake them. You know, when when my wife Lindsay was a child, she told me this story, and when she grew up, her parents didn't have a lot of money, and and to be honest, sometimes struggled to keep food on the shelves in their home. And one time when she was young, her mom came up to her and and just honestly shared with her and said, Lindsay, I don't know what we're going to do for dinner. We don't have any food. And so she asked, Lindsay, will you pray with me? And so Lindsay and her mom got down and and, and knelt down, and and they prayed together. And and as soon as they had finished praying, there was a knock at the door. And a lady from their church came over and brought an envelope with $400 in it. And God directly answered that prayer even more than what they needed. That obviously covered more than dinner for that night, but groceries for the next few weeks. And because Lindsay's mom invited her into that process, because she was honest with her about what was going on, Lindsay got to see firsthand the working of the Lord. She got to see her mom's faith in action. And as parents, we need to be intentional about looking for those opportunities to teach our children about their faith. This is also an awesome way for grandparents to get involved in their grandchildren's spiritual lives. And grandparents, you should look for those opportunities as well. And I'm sure that you have many, many stories throughout your life of times that you know, the Lord has been faithful to you and, and that he has worked and moved in your life in different seasons. And just because your kids are out of the house doesn't mean that your parenting job is over. You have a responsibility to help shape the future generation. And Timothy's grandmother, Lois, had enough of an influence on Timothy's life that the Apostle Paul mentioned her in the Bible. Grandparents, you can have an impact. And parents are so often consumed with meeting the day-to-day needs of, of their children that grandparents have this unique opportunity to help meet their grandkids' emotional and spiritual needs. Well, today we've seen from Deuteronomy 6 that... We as parents have the responsibility, our responsibility to the Lord to listen to, obey, and love Him, and we also have a responsibility to teach and train our children in our homes, in the community, and at all times. My hope is that many of our families here at Crosslink are already doing a lot of these things and, and putting them into place. But if not, my hope is that you would participate in them. I, I'd encourage you start today. It's not too late, and, Let's be honest. It it might be a little awkward at first, especially if your kids are older, but don't be scared of how your kids might react. God has given you the right to parent them. Donald Whitney challenges us, fathers, husbands, if you have been negligent in this duty and great privilege, repent by starting family worship today. Guys, we need to step up to the plate and be the pastor's of our homes, We need to guide and disciple our kids and our wife and lead our family as a whole to grow closer to the Lord. We can't just hope that they're getting discipled by the church. We need to be intentional in having a plan for family worship and discipleship. And single moms, you share in this great privilege as well. Maybe you're here today and just thinking, how can I lead my family? My relationship with the Lord is, is virtually non-existent. Well, Maybe today you just need to first commit yourself to to spending daily time with the Lord in scripture and in prayer. Maybe you're here today, you're just checking this whole Christianity thing out, then today you can give your life to the Lord and commit to following Christ. And and committing your life to him is the best thing that you'll ever do. And it'll also help you be a better spouse and parent. And I wanna conclude the message today with a quote from Vadi Bacham. As I read it, I just want you to reflect on your own family and its priorities. The quote says this. Does our family exist to prepare children for the major leagues? If so, then baseball will be the center of our family's universe, and everything will bow to the whims and wishes of the baseball god. Does our family exist to produce socialites? If so, then our family must revolve around the social calendars of our overloaded teenagers and their hectic schedules. However, if our family exists to glorify and honor God and to lay a biblical foundation in the lives of our children, then we must not allow anything to interfere with our commitment to family worship, prayer, and Bible study. Let's pray together. Father, I just thank you for the privilege it is to have children. Lord, just to raise a family. God, it's a challenging, but such a wonderful privilege and responsibility that you've given to many of us here. And Lord, I pray that we would steward that well. God, that, that you would help us, Lord, to, to first place priority on our own spiritual lives and, and get right with you and make sure that we are living for you. And Lord, I pray that that would then translate into our relationship with our families, that our kids would see that, but God, that we would also Take the time each day to pour into them. Be intentional about teaching them the things of the Lord. So God, I pray, Lord, that you would just convict our hearts. God, if there are areas that we need to improve, Lord, in our relationship with you or in, Lord, just discipling our kids, God, I pray that you would bring those to light. Pray it all in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast.